0: Good morning. good morning, good morning, brothers and sisters. Uh, it is such, it is so wonderful to to worship with you this morning. Um, and as Miss Pamela reminded me this morning, what a privilege and a joy it is to gather with saints, with the saints, and to worship together. Um, let me open up with just a, a very short prayer, dear Lord. It's only by the power of your spirit that we would understand anything. Lord, we pray that you would bless this time as we study your word, that we might apply it, we might love your word, and we might love you all the more. In Jesus' name, amen. The author of James in the New Testament, James the Just, the half-brother of Jesus, was known as a man of prayer. A first century historian reported that James spent so much time on his knees that they became hard and calloused like a camel. Martin Luther said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Prayer. Last week, Pastor Garrett preached from Nehemiah 8 about the treasure of God's word. And today we'll consider another essential element of of the Christian life, prayer. I heard a pastor once say that one of the most universally convicting questions you can ever ask of a Christian is, how is your prayer life? Probably because most of us realize it may not be what it could be or what it should be. Well, the Bible has much to say about prayer, both private and corporate, the content of a good prayer, our demeanor when praying, and we have many good examples, Old Testament and New Testament, the prayers of Moses and David and Mary, just to name a few. Instructive examples of even bad prayers. We think of the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Oh, thank you, Lord, I'm not like that tax collector. This morning, we will consider private prayer by way of example of our Savior. We will be focusing on one verse, Matthew 14, chapter 14, verse 23. Matthew chapter 14, verse 23, which can be found on uh, page 869 of the Pew Bible. 869 of the Pew Bible. I'll, I'll read verses 6 through 24, 23 rather, for context. Um, I'll be looking at other verses um, around verse 23. Um, while you're turning there, this part of the chapter of chapter 14 includes the account of John the Baptist's death, as well as Jesus' feeding of the 5,000. From verse 12, where John's disciples report to Jesus about John's death, through verse 23, we have essentially have one day in the life of Jesus' earthly ministry. one day. The setting is near the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus spent a good portion of his earthly ministry. And uh, just as a bit of a spoiler, I'll be focusing on what one might consider some of the incidental events of that day. Namely, how the day started and how the day ended. So chapter 14, starting at verse 6, hear now the word of the Lord. When Herod's birthday celebration came, Herodias' daughter danced before them and pleased Herod. So he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she answered, give me John the Baptist's head here on a platter. Although the king regretted it, he commanded that it be granted because of his oaths and his guests. So he sent orders and had John beheaded in the prison his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. Then his disciples came, removed the corpse, buried it, and went and reported to Jesus. When Jesus heard about it, he withdrew from there by boat to a remote place to be alone. When the crowds heard this, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd had compassion on them and healed their sick. When evening came, the disciples approached him and said, This place is deserted and it is already late. Send the crowds away so that they can go into the villages and buy food for themselves. They don't need to go away, Jesus told them. You give them something to eat. But we only have five loaves and two fish here, they said to him. Bring them here to me, he said. Then he commanded the crowds to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them. He broke the loaves, gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Everyone ate and was satisfied. They picked up 12 baskets of full of leftover pieces. Now those who ate were about 5,000 men, besides women and children. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. So the day begins with John's disciples arriving with news of John's death. The account in the text here is probably what Matthew himself heard that very day. Later, Jesus had compassion on a large crowd that followed him. He healed their sick, cared for them, ministered to them, and then miraculously fed them. Now it was getting late, and it was time for the crowd to head home or find shelter. Jesus, after dismissing the crowds in verse 23, went up on the mountain by himself to pray, and well into the night he was there alone. The day started with a report from John's disciples and ended with Jesus praying alone on a mountain at night. Hearing the report and praying at night may not seem like the highlights of the day, but that's really what uh, we'll be looking at today, and that's the theme of the central point. So the central point tonight, today, excuse me, is uh, the prayer life of Jesus is instructive for our walk. It's there in the handout. The prayer life of Jesus is instructive for our walk. And I have two reasons from the passage why this is true. First reason is because Jesus became a man. Looking at verse 23 again, I guess the first question we should ask is why? Why did Jesus wanna be alone? And why did he want to pray alone? And why was it so important at this time? Verse 23 doesn't say specifically, but if we look back to 13, verse 13, earlier in the same day, immediately after hearing about John's death, Jesus had already attempted to withdraw to a remote place to be alone. However, Jesus's first attempt to be alone wasn't successful because the crowds followed him. But now in verse 23, after a long day, and after sending away the disciples, and then the crowds, now Jesus can be alone. He went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Into the night, he was there alone. So now we have some answers. Jesus wanted to be alone to pray, to fellowship with his father. And it is clear from the text that Jesus was burdened. Jesus was troubled, having heard about John. In our verse this morning, we see a glimpse of Jesus' humanity. He is truly man. When we consider Jesus' divine nature, the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, in his divine nature, is Jesus ever really alone? being omnipresent? And when we consider Jesus' divine nature, does he need to be alone or free from distractions to commune with his Father, since he is omniscient and able to think of all things at all times and who already is and always has been in perfect unity and communion with the Father and the Spirit? No. In our verse this morning, we see a little of our Savior's humanity. He is truly God, but he condescended to become a man. Frail and finite, truly a man. In surrounding verses, we see our Savior's divinity and healing and supernaturally feeding the 5,000. And later in chapter 14, walking on the water. But in verse 23, we are seeing the humanity of our Savior. He wants to be alone, he wants to pray, his heart is burdened, and he wants to fellowship with his father. Was our savior discouraged or grieved or saddened when he heard the news about John? Was he angry? You'll recall that John had a meteoric rise as a preacher and prophet. People walked for days to hear him. John was baptizing 20 miles from Jerusalem, a long walk, no Uber, no bicycles. Most would have had to walk. But the power of the Spirit had fallen on John's preaching, a voice crying in the wilderness. But later John became Herod's prisoner, languishing in jail. John must have been discouraged. And he was sending his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one? John is then ingloriously executed, his head a party favor. That's some party. On this day, John's disciples report the news to Jesus. You can imagine the disappointment of John's disciples. You can almost see them looking at Jesus that morning and asking, It wasn't supposed to end this way, was it? We had such high hopes. Why did this happen? If Jesus shared a few words, it is not recorded here in the text. And maybe it wasn't a time for many words, but a time to mourn with those who mourn and weep with those who weep. So, Jesus was likely troubled. The text doesn't say exactly. Hearing about his cousin John, seeing John's disciples confused and mourning. Are we surprised that Jesus might be discouraged in his human nature? Is it wrong to be discouraged? Is it wrong to be sad? Is it wrong to be angry? Apostle Paul wrote, be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun set on your anger. No, these these emotions aren't inherently wrong. I think we know from our own personal experience that a burden left to fester can be a problem. A burden unmitigated can lead to temptation and to sin. But we know Jesus took his burdens to his father. He sought the fellowship of his father and the spirit in prayer. That day, and for a reason, he was casting his cares upon his heavenly Father. So let me ask you a question here so we might get a better sense of Jesus. Have you ever been tempted by something? Maybe slightly, but not really. Let's say you are at a checkout line at a department store and you're about to pay and the cashier opens up the register and it's full of cash. And the thought crosses your mind that you are within easy reach of those bills. Now, you don't really need the money that much and you know that would really be crazy and you quickly drop the idea because you weren't really tempted to begin with. Yeah, well, that's not at all how we should think of Jesus being tempted. He was really tempted. Tempted beyond what you or I can comprehend, but yet without sin. This is where I think many get confused. Have you ever heard someone say, of course Jesus didn't sin, he is God. And that's sort of missing the point, like entirely. To qualify himself as our savior, as a lamb without defect, It was necessary that he live a perfect life without blemish as a man, the life we should have lived, but we have all failed to live without exception. But Jesus faced his trial and his trials as a man. Jesus Jesus is truly God and truly man. Jesus didn't use his divinity to pass the test of his humanity. He didn't hit the easy button and uses divinity to lessen his ordained trials. Whether it was privation, when he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness, or facing other trials during his ministry. And the father didn't send the son to become man-like. The father sent the son to become a man. To face real difficulties, real burdens, real temptations, qualify him as our righteous substitute, a man. There was a class of heresies in the early church, uh, the early church face known as the monophysite heresy that affirmed that Jesus had a physical human body but also wrongly maintained that Jesus had only one nature and it was, it was only divine or it was some mixture of, of, a, of a divine human nature. In other words, they deny that Jesus was truly man, as well as being truly God. At the Council of Chalcedon, the church fathers affirm the clear teaching of scripture that Jesus is truly God and truly man. So why, why are we talking about this? Because our, in our verse this morning, we see the reasons Jesus wanted to pray as a man, not just a, a man in body, but a man in his nature, in his will, along with everything it means to be human. On hearing about his cousin John, Jesus wanted to withdraw and pray. He was troubled and tempted, and he sought the fellowship of his father. He, he needed to lay his cares before his father. Exactly what mixture of emotions he was experiencing, we don't know from verse 23. But we do know from Hebrews that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. That's Hebrews four fifteen. He did not let his burdens fester, which might lead to greater temptation. He brought his burdens to his father. He may have been discouraged, but it never led to disillusionment. Saddened, but never succumbing to self-pity. Angry in his human nature, but never letting the sun go down on his anger. Righteous, he is and he was righteous on that day. Learning obedience from what he suffered and fulfilling all righteousness the lamb without blemish, the lamb without blemish that he might die in our place a substitutionary atonement. Because unlike him, all of us have fallen short of God's glory. All of us have rejected him and have rebelled against him. That is why Jesus' sinless nature as a man is so important because we have a qualified savior. So if you are a non-Christian here today, visiting, welcome. We're glad you're here. It may sound strange or foreign to you that one would need a substitutionary atonement, that it would be necessary for Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, divine and eternally self-existent, to become a man. But God is holy. He is holy, perfectly holy, not like you or me or anyone else you've ever met or heard of. Our culture, our world, doesn't have a category for true holiness, for pure justice. Holiness and justice go hand in hand. The Lord loves justice, real justice. If the truth be told, you and I don't mind a little bit of advantage from time to time. Even if it might not be fair, the helpful hint about an exam question, the little insider stock trip uh, tip, the advantage of a family name, or ethnicity, or social standing, if it helps us. Truth be told, we can sometimes be okay with a little injustice. As long as it benefits us, we can sort of rationalize it away somehow But God isn't like that. He loves justice more than anyone. And he sees justice and and sees what is fair and demands justice. Which is why you and I have a problem. Which only Jesus can solve. If you were to, my non-Christian friend, if you were to take an afternoon and just look at the Ten Commandments, and do a self-assessment and not consider other people or your neighbor as the standard but, but the Lord himself, how do you think you would measure up? Perfect holiness without exception. The standard is God, not man. Because Jesus not only fulfilled the requirements of the law, because he not only fulfilled all righteousness, but offered himself as a spotless lamb, dying for any and all that would trust and repent. Friend, whether you realize it or not, you need him. This day, turn from your sins. Repent and believe the gospel. And don't delay. And if you're a Christian here today, When you read the pages of the New Testament about Jesus and and see that he fed the 5,000 or walked on water and thought, Jesus is God, can I really emulate him? It is true, we will never be all-knowing, we will never be all-powerful, yet he showed us what perfected humanity looks like. From scripture, See Jesus the man, see how he walked in perfect obedience all the way to the cross. See in scripture how he rose from the dead and how he ascend, ascended back to heaven and, and he will return again. He showed us how we should react to trouble and difficulty. Take your burdens and cares before him. He can relate to all of our troubles. Which brings us to our second observation today. The central point was the prayer life of Jesus is instructive for our walk. And the second reason is because of his commitment to prayer. Jesus showed us what a life committed to prayer and fellowship with the Lord looks like. After an exhausting day, when he was physically, mentally, emotionally spent, Jesus still desired, he needed time with his Father. More than sleep, more than a bed and pillow, or the company of friends, or any entertainment. He had wanted to pray earlier, but since he couldn't, he still made time at the end of the day. It was important, it was, ne- it was a necessity. Saint, do you understand the importance of prayer? The importance of private prayer. The need for us to bear our burdens directly to the Lord ourselves. Burdens that others might not fully grasp or understand or we ourselves don't even understand and have trouble articulating. There is a time for confession to another saint, a time for corporate prayer, which is also essential, but there is a time and no substitute for private prayer as well. Christian, if it was important for our Savior, who is sinless and his relationship unhindered with the Father, why would it be less important for you or for me when we are struggling with temptation or discouragement? Another thing Jesus showed us about prayer is that we must persevere. Again, isn't it interesting to see in verse 13 upon hearing about John's death and desiring to find a remote place to be alone and attempting to get away that although he wasn't successful at getting away earlier in the day, Jesus didn't give up and he found time at the end of the day. He didn't give up. Well into the night he prayed for hours. Do you sometimes think, of course Jesus prayed a lot because he is God. He is the second person of the Trinity. That's just what he does. But isn't Jesus' prayer life while he walked this earth more a reflection of his humanity than his divinity? In his divinity... He, as we, as we talked about, he is, always, he is and always has been in perfect fellowship with the Father. It was only in his finite, limited humanity that he longed for more fellowship with his Father. So his example is 100% relevant and applicable to us when, we come, when it comes to prayer. As we've already seen, Jesus showed us that we should take our cares and troubles to the Lord in prayer so that we are not tempted to sin in some way. But also notice that Jesus anticipated finding comfort, anticipated finding being strengthened in his prayer time. Jesus' attitude and actions about prayer showed us that he knew he would find comfort, find rest find relief for his soul, for his mind, for his body. Saint, do you expect to find that comfort? Do you think you will find that comfort after praying a mostly rote prayer for five minutes? Wouldn't that rather come from after conversing and pleading, yes, even struggling with the Lord over time, Do you remember the uh, mysterious account of Jacob wrestling with God in Genesis chapter 32? Jacob was paralyzed with fear about meeting his brother Esau, years after swindling him, fearful for himself, fearful for his family, for his possessions. But that night, as he traveled, a mysterious man appeared. A struggle ensued. And as the story develops, it turns out that he was fighting with God himself. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. How long did Jacob struggle with God? How long did Jacob hold on? Don't the Psalms also teach us that we we can take any and all of our emotions and lay them bare before God, our hurt and anger and disappointment, as well as our thanks and praise, surrendering our our hopes and dreams that he might align our wills and purify our motives. I think Garrett mentioned that in one of his prayers um, and one of his sermons about prayer where the Lord uses prayer to align our wills and purify our motives. And that's one of the great things that happens in prayer. The Lord Lord aligns our wills and purifies our motives, which is one of the great ways we actually find comfort. The Lord gives us a fresh perspective about our circumstances, about our own hearts, our motives, and our attitudes. Notice, it doesn't appear from our text that Jesus assumed his circumstances would change he was still on a path to, to Jerusalem and the cross but Jesus found prayer necessary he found prayer ne- and it found it necessary to persevere in prayer and ultim- ultimately found it to be the way of finding rest in his father and the spirit but if we look further at our verse we also see some practical applications We also see in our verse that it's sometimes important to go somewhere else where we won't be distracted. Everyone's busy. There isn't a lot of spare time to devote to prayer. Maybe you look for five minutes here and ten minutes there. That's something. Or maybe you're someone that thinks, I pray all the time in and through my daily activities. But I would ask you then, how many times do you have to stop and restart a a train of thought? And how many times can you not restart because because you can't remember where you left off? Sometimes it is helpful to go somewhere else. And avoiding distractions isn't the... Only obstacle, it is finding or rather prioritizing time. We also learn from our Lord that we must prioritize, set aside time. Maybe many of you saints have already learned the lesson, the dedicated time. Dedicating time to prayer is well worth the investment. Martin Luther was once asked what his plans were for the day, and he responded. I have so much to do that I I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. I think he may have been joking, but he definitely thought more prayer rather than less prayer is needed when facing challenges of any kind. So if dedicated private prayer is not a pattern in your life, here's a challenge. Set aside a half an hour or even 15 minutes Every day, turn your phone off, find a place that would minimize your distractions, take your Bible or a verse, or pray through a psalm or a portion of scripture, and take your burdens to your Heavenly Father. That's what Jesus did. The question that must be asked is, what is the place of prayer in your life? Does it have a prominent place in your life? Martin Lloyd-Jones said, quote, the ultimate test of my understanding of the scriptural teaching is the amount of time I spend in prayer. Theology, knowledge of God, the more I know theology, the more it ought to drive me to seek to know God, not just to know about him, but to know him. That's what scripture does. If all this knowledge doesn't lead to, a, to prayer, there must be something wrong somewhere. It's meant to do that. The value of the knowledge, ultimately, is that it allows me to pray, end quote. So in closing, you know, there may, be, there may have been another burden and temptation Jesus experienced that night on the mountain, alone, as he prayed. Often we think of Jesus as gentle and lowly, who humbled himself for our sake. And that is 100% true. He is gentle and lowly to those who turn to him as Savior. But Jesus was engaged in warfare. And on this day in chapter 14, Jesus, meek and lowly, was actually on the offensive. He came to destroy the works of the devil and he had his sights on Jerusalem and Calvary. And he showed us that prayer was a means of not only fighting temptation or finding comfort, but also to prepare for the next day, for the battle to come. And in looking into the future, yes, there may have been another burden and temptation Jesus experienced that night on the mountain alone as he prayed. Dread. That night alone on the mountain, in our verse, might well have been a preview of Gethsemane for Jesus. It might have been a bit of a rehearsal. John's tragic death reported earlier in the day a reminder of what lay ahead. Jesus was acutely aware of his mission. He was acutely aware of his mission. He knew there would be another day soon when he wouldn't need to send his disciples away because they would scatter. And his ascent wouldn't lead to a time of fellowship and prayer, but to Calvary. With a fellowship with the Father he so longed for would be denied him, where he would drink the cup of the Father's wrath to its bitter end. He did this for you and for me, Saint, because of his great love. However, his dread never turned to despair. He laid his burdens before the Father. And what about you? A pattern of consistent prayer, private prayer, may be a bit of a rehearsal for you too. There may be a day when you're alone and it seems that family or friends have deserted you or maybe not really, it just feels that way. If the visiting hours are over at the hospital or if they can't be there the way they want to be but because of what Jesus has done for us. We will never be denied access to the throne of grace in our prayers. When we come in Jesus's name, we will not be denied as Jesus was at Calvary. Go to him, lay all your burdens at his feet, for he cares for you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, words are feel completely inadequate to express the thanks we have for what you've done. Lord, thank you for showing us what perfected humanity looks like, that we m- might follow your example. Lord, we, we thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you that we can go to you in prayer, that you hear us and it pleases you to answer prayer, Lord. And Lord, it, it's a comfort to know you're using the trials and difficulties in life to mold and shape us, to conform us into the image of Jesus himself, Lord. We thank you, we thank you and praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.